We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Gideon, believe it or not, is spoken about more in the book of Judges than any other judge. Um, from what I understand, there's more verses on his life. And I think we can identify with Gideon in many ways, how God would use this guy totally, totally unable. He was afraid. He did not have what it took apart from the Lord, but God used him in such a mighty way to set the children of Israel free. As a matter of fact, look here at Judges 5. If you look at the end of verse 31, it said that the land had rest for 40 years. And so things were going kind of good, but then we read in verse 1 that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Most of you probably already know how judges works. It's a cycle of you know, disobedience. That's what the people of God would eventually fall into, like a dog returning to his vomit. It's sick. You know, but they would go back. Disobedience. And God, you know, wanting to deal with them, they, they wouldn't cry out. It would take years of tears, but that disobedience would then lead to discipline and defeat in their life which eventually, thank God, it would lead to despair. They would eventually cry out and God would deliver. Now we read this, and I've told you many times, not just for information, but for transformation, so that when God works in our life, that we wouldn't keep doing the same things. You know, you keep getting angry. You do it again and again and again. It's been 10 years now, and you're still an angry person? I mean, when Christ comes into our life, He wants to change us. And so... Judges, you know, it's about the faithlessness of man. But I don't think it's an excuse for us to say, oh, that's how we are. That's how I'm made. I'm a sinner. And so, you know what? That's how they were. And so, you know what? It's no big deal. No, God records their sin so that you and I wouldn't do the same. It is the faithlessness of man followed by the faithfulness of God. And that is so cool that the Lord will meet you there. And the Lord will deliver us when we repent and when we cry out to Him. Now here, once again, God disciplines His children. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, he said, God doesn't allow His children to sin successfully. <laughs> and I'm, aren't you grateful for that, you know? Because sin will ultimately send you where? To hell. That's why God doesn't let you sin successfully. He disciplines you. He wants to get your attention, Right? And he does that because he loves us. This case, the Lord used Midian, uh, the Midianites, the children of Midian. They were actually descendants of Abraham through his wife uh, Keturah, but he had sent them away. They lived down there in the Mount Sinai Peninsula, but eventually they kind of became nomads and they were all over the place. If you remember, Joseph was sold into the hands of Midianite traders. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Even Moses' wife was a Midianite. So there was a couple of times we see in which the Lord would use the Midianites to humble his people. And so here, it got pretty bad. Um, it says right here, for seven years. But it was a, a rough seven years. Because look what it says in verse 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel... 
Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. It got so bad for the children of Israel that they lost their homes. Uh, we're going to see later the Midianites would come in, the raiders, and they would get all their their harvest. Not only would they get their harvest, but they would get their homes. It got so bad that they had literally had to you know, go and create caves in the mountains to hide themselves. One guy said this, you know, we've heard of men being humbled as mice. The Israelites were like moles. They were so bad. They, were, they came so low that they literally had to hide themselves from the Midianites. It got really, really bad. It says in verse 3, So it was whenever the Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And then they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor donkey nor ox. It got really crazy, man. Imagine that. I don't know how you guys get your your paycheck. Uh, Maybe you get paid on Friday. I remember those days, man. I used to get paid every week on a Friday. It was kind of cool. And I remember, you know, going and cashing my check. Now imagine you get paid, you cash your check, but every week they come and they take your check from you. Wouldn't that be crazy? That would be frustrating, huh? That's what was going on with Israel. I mean, payday, boom, it would be gone. Or imagine there you are, some of you here, you uh, farm at home, you have little things that you plant at home, and you know, you're watching it grow, and imagine you know, that the, the time comes and eventually things kind of begin to ripen, and you're just ready to, to harvest it, and imagine, boom, your neighbor jumps over the wall and he takes everything away. <laughs> imagine if that happened to you every single time. How frustrating that would be. How difficult that would be. How do you live? Well, that's what was happening to the nation of Israel. See, their sin was leading to their defeat. It was really the discipline that God was allowing to take place in their life. You know, and, and I don't know how in tune we are sometimes with being disciplined. You know, in talking with most Christians, uh, usually when we go through hard times, we usually blame it on the devil. huh? Oh, the devil did it. The devil did it. I think it was uh, K.P. Yohan, and he said, poor devil, he gets blamed for everything, you know. And I mean, I wouldn't say poor devil necessarily, but you know what? It might not be the devil. It might be you. It might be the sins that you're living in your life that we're not, you know, giving over to the Lord. That might be leading to the depression that you're experiencing. You ever think about that? That might lead to the... Lack of funds. Now, I'm not saying always, but sometimes that actually might lead to the physical calamities. Again, not always, but we have to search our hearts and to find out if maybe the things that we're going through is God giving us a trangasso, you know? God spanking us. Because whenever we spank our children, um, it's for a reason. You know, something needs to change. Their attitude needs to change. You know, they need to learn, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, you're trying to teach them how to, you know, wash their own dishes. You're trying to teach them how to take out the trash. You're trying to teach them to become a responsible human being, to grow up. And whatever it is, you know, and sometimes they don't listen and you give them the verbal warning. They don't listen. 
Uh, you try to, you know, take away their rewards. They don't listen. And eventually, you know, you have to paddle them or, or whatever it is. You know, when your kids are younger, you can do that. I don't know. All I know is that just like we do that with our children, God does that with us. But if we're going to stick our head in the sand and we're not going to examine our own life, then how are we ever going to grow? We really need to face the issues God cares about his children and therefore he disciplined them. Proverbs three eleven through 12, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. And that's what he was doing with the nation of Israel. You know, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes Christians are deceived into believing that they can't obey. You know, and be careful with that. We have to have a balance here. You know, I pray you would know the grace and love and forgiveness of God and how, you know, He's your Father. And you're His son if you're a Christian. You're His daughter. I mean, that's beautiful there. You know, and, and, and I just pray though that in knowing that there would be a comfort, but also in knowing that, that there would be a, a consecration. God is my Father. You know, I have His genes. I can be like Jesus. You know, some people believe that in obeying the Lord, that, you know, it will kind of help them to get something they don't have. But really, in obeying the Lord, it kind of proves what you already have. You already have the Spirit of God inside of you. You already have the character of Jesus Christ within you. And that's all. Just walk like God's children. Don't fight against it. Don't kick against the goats. You see, when we read the book of Judges, I think the Lord, He really wants to purify His church. And, you know, we can read it, and, I, and I've told you many times, my prayer is that we would read it and that we would learn the easy way. Man, just by reading the Bible. You know, things got really bad right here. We read, notice again in verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. We read here that they were impoverished. Uh, The word in the Hebrew, it means to be brought low. It means to be laid low. If you have an NLT, it means Israel was reduced to starvation. And all I'm saying is that as Christians, you know, you don't have to live a life like that. You don't have to. You can live a life of peace and joy and love, faithfulness, goodness, long-suffering. I mean, God can just bless your life. You don't have to live a low life, right? This is where Israel was, however. Why? Because they were not living a life of obedience, You know, so what ends up happening? Well, we read here in verse 6. I like what we read at the end. It says, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel then did what? They cried out to the Lord. And there we see the cycle again. Disobedience leading to defeat and discipline. Thank God it eventually would lead them to despair, in which they would cry out to the Lord, you know? And, And that's where I think maybe some of us need to to be tonight. You need to cry out to God 
like you haven't cried out to God in a very, very long time, if ever, in your life. You know, maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christian. You're not really serving the Lord. And if you were to die today, you know you wouldn't go to heaven. So what's it going to take? God wants you to cry out to Him. You know, for those of you moms that are here, you kind of know the different cries of your children, right? You know the sincere cry, and you know the superficial cry, right moms? You kind of know it, right? And the sincere cry, what do you usually do? You usually just let them cry, right? But the, I mean the superficial cry. But the sincere cry, you go out and you cry out. That's how the Lord is with us. He knows our nature. He knows the nature of our Christ. And when we really cry out to the Lord, I'm telling you this, man, He will meet you there. You know, some people say, well, I did the altar call. You know, I raised my hand. I went forward, Manny, and nothing really changed in my life. Well, you want to know why? Because it wasn't real in your heart. You didn't realize, you don't realize how much of a sinner you are. You, you think you're good. You think you're going to be okay. You think you don't need Jesus when you desperately do. When you really cry out to the Lord, He will meet you there. Psalm 3, verse 4, I says, I cried to the Lord with my voice and He heard me from His holy hill. Psalm 18, verse 6, it says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple and my cry came before Him, even to His ears. I like Psalm 30, verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried out to You and You healed me. You know, when I think of God healing you guys, I don't just think, you know, physically. I mean, physically, yeah, you know, we need the healing sometimes. But I'm thinking so much more than that. I'm thinking that a lot of us here tonight really need God to heal us with things that are much deeper than that. With basically kind of like strongholds that the enemy has. And you really need God to heal you of those strongholds, to help you get through those emotional hang-ups, those things that you've been holding on to, to kind of put His finger on them and say, okay, son, let it go. You've got to let it go now. You've got to move on now. You know, when you really cry out to God, that's the way it is. That's how we got saved. You didn't get saved by the evangelist. You, didn't, you got saved when you cried out to the Lord. And, you know, that happens to get you into the kingdom, to save you and bring salvation. That same prayer, that same heart, that cry will help you in sanctification. And I really believe that God will meet you there. I don't know if you parents have ever experienced this, but, you know, every once in a while, you get some kids that won't cry, huh? Any of you parents ever have kids like that? <laughs> it's kind of funny. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it's their unique makeup, you know, you spank them and spank them and spank them and they just look at you and laugh, you know. <laughs> or, um, I don't know, maybe it's something unique about them. They won't allow you as a parent to break them and they try to basically communicate a message, I'm not wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, I don't need you and I'm just fine. It doesn't matter how many times you spank me. You know, and we see that sometimes with our kids. And again, I don't know how all that works, but I do know this, that that kind of heart will never work with God. We got to cry. We got to cry out. We have to stop and drop and realize that we're on fire without Christ. We've got to grow up and look up and let Him discipline us back to Himself. We've got to fall on our face and cry out to God. Israel did after seven years of needless tears. 
And so the Lord heard, it says in verse 7, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. So Israel, basically, they lived that life of sin And so God disciplined them and they came to that point of defeat, despair, cried out to God. And what does God do? God, before he sends salvation, he sends a prophet with an explanation. And it's not complicated. He just tells them this is what happened. After all that God had done for them, they turned their backs on the Lord and God says, this is why you're in the, in the place that you're in. You know? And, and I, I think for us, and I've told you guys many times, man, it's not complicated. It's not. I mean, it's very simple. You know, and the Lord wants to just bring us away from that whole worldly mentality, man, in which, you know, you kind of just do whatever you want. And you call your own shots and you make your own decisions and you search deep enough within your heart and that is the heart of what's going on in a lot of our lives. God is not the Lord of your life. And you can come to church until you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter. God has to have control over every area of your life. And you got to do, we got to do what he says. Because that was their problem. And they began to mess with the other gods. They lost their faith in God. They became unfaithful to Him. And so before He sends salvation, He just says, Okay, but real quick, let me just send a prophet to you. You don't even know His name. It doesn't really matter what the prophet's name is. This is God saying, This is the reason that you're in the situation that you're in. Because of your sin. But, Then the Lord comes in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abbey's right, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And so now the Lord sends the deliverer, right? And he's going to send the angel of the Lord first to this guy named Gideon, who I like so much, man. The angel of the Lord, most of you know, is a theophany, and that means it's God coming down. Um, uh, Basically, from what I understand, all the theophanies were actually the Lord Jesus Christ coming down. It's actually found frequently in the book of Judges, chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6 here, chapter 13. Where, where God is coming down. Okay, and I love that, you know, because it's not the pastor, it's not, you know, your friend. I mean, thank God for, you know, those people that God uses in our life. But man, if you don't realize that it's God, the one that's coming down, then it might not influence you to change. But when we see the angel of the Lord, and, and my Bible, it's a capital A, right? 
This is a theophany. This is God coming in. And God saying, hey, I want to I wanna change your life. I want to I wanna deliver you. I want to help you. You know, he comes. And it's kind of funny. He goes under the terebinth tree. I'm not sure why. Uh, then he goes over to Gideon as he's threshing wheat in the wine press of all places. Why? Because he's hiding from the Midianites. And, you know, the words of the angel of the Lord are pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. First of all, he says, number one, the Lord is with you. And number two, you're a mighty man of valor. Now, both of those would probably be very uh, surprising to hear, right, from Gideon. He'd say, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that the Lord is with us? And he's going to ask him a question about that. It doesn't really seem like that. But just understand that when the Lord is with us, it changes everything. You know, the mighty man of valor. How can he call Gideon a mighty man of valor? How can God call you tonight a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor? You know, and I think it's by his grace. But I also think it's because he sees that in some of you here tonight, you will surrender to him. You will surrender to him. You will aggressively cooperate with the amazing work that God wants to do in your life. And He calls you even tonight, no matter what you've done or where you've been, a mighty man of valor. The Hebrew word right here refers to a brave man, a strong man. And we're going to see Gideon does not you know, manifest these characteristics in the beginning, man. It speaks of uh, efficiency, a force, a wealth. It even speaks of an army. And this one man would be like an army for Israel. You know, Gideon, I'm sure, is surprised to be called a mighty man of valor. He's puzzled at God's opinion. And so he questions him in verse 13. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord. Now, the Hebrew word there is Adoni. And this is something that you would typically say to any man. If the Lord, and that's the Jehovah God, if Jehovah God is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not? sent you. Now you guys are Bible scholars, right? I know some of you here took some Bible classes, right? Gideon asks, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? What's the answer? You guys know? Because they had sinned, right? And God doesn't even answer that part of the question because he had already answered that through the prophet. Maybe Gideon wasn't listening. I don't know. But God wants to now do a new work, right? And so what does the Lord say? He says there in verse 14, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I like what we read right here, you guys, because again, the Lord is beginning to stir things up. What do you think of when you hear the word, Go. For you New Testament Christians here, what do you think of go? You're like, when I want to drive my car, go, right? No. no, the Great Commission, right? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what I think of the Great Commission. 
baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You know, and, and I don't know how it works, you know. All I know is that maybe Gideon was part of the guys that were crying out. And God said, okay, I see something in this guy. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to commission him. You know, and, and maybe in your life you've come to that point and God says, listen, I want to use your life and I want you to know that my grace can change you. You know, a lot of us say, no, I can't go. Lord, I can't. I need to know more. And Lord, I need to grow more. And yes, we need to know more. We need to grow more. But man, if God comes into your life and He begins to say, listen, I want to use you to minister to people on a daily basis, to make yourself available, then it won't really matter, man. All we need to know is that if God is with us, then we can do the things that He's called us to do. You know, Gideon had a very difficult time with this. Notice what we read next in verse 15. He said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon says, Lord, I can't do this. I'm the weakest in Manasseh. My clan is the weakest. I'm the least in my father's house. Lord, shouldn't you pick the strongest shoulder soldier? Shouldn't you pick the greatest guy? Lord, look at me. How? He asked that word right there. How? How can I save Israel? And the Lord says, listen, Gideon, take your eyes off yourself and look to me, God says. This is how I will be with you. I will be with you. You know, and that's our only hope. No matter what the mountain is, no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the giant is, and what the commission is, what the challenge is, we see here in looking at Gideon, who was a very unlikely candidate for God to do anything in him or through him, that when God is with us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? You know, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, this is the key to any victory in life. When Paul the Apostle was having problems in Corinth, and he wanted to give up, It says in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 10, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. He said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will be able to attack you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. Warren Wiersbe said, Whenever God calls us to a task that we think is beyond us, we must be careful to look to God and not to ourselves. You know, God tells the Gideon here, not only will you defeat the Midianites, he says, but you will defeat them as if you were fighting one man. Look again what he says right there in verse 16. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And later we're going to see there were actually 135,000 soldiers that came against Israel. But the Lord used Gideon to bring about a great victory. You know, sometimes I think, and I've shared with you guys this before, that um, 
you know, a lot of times we as Christians, we run to God and we kind of complain and we kind of tell him how big our mountains are as opposed to running to our mountains and telling them how big our God is. You know, examine your own life. If you search your heart, you know, I think we'll be able to find out where we're at in this whole thing. And God will meet us there. And God will use our life for His glory. You know, when you think about one man, you know, it's an amazing thing how he can defeat so many soldiers. But when God is on your side, the numbers just seem to work that way. Now, as Gideon is having this conversation with God, um, he begins to realize that he's not really sure. He says, you know what, I think this guy is more than just a guy. And so look what ends up happening next in verse 17. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, Okay, I'll wait until you come back. And so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Gideon wasn't sure, is this God? Who's speaking to me? Well, let me check, you know. And so what he does is he goes and he says, if you're, you know, you know, someone special, if I know this is the Lord really talking to me, then I'll tell you what, wait here, let me go get a sacrifice. And he goes and he gets a goat. He makes an ephah of unleavened bread and what that would be, would that would be worth about a whole week's uh, a whole week of bread. Now remember, here is a time when they're impoverished. They don't have a lot of food, right? And they, he does this what? He does this by faith. But it's kind of interesting. In looking at Gideon, we see that this guy right here, he's not really sure, huh? He's not really sure about what's going on. Or we're going to see later as he sets out a fleece, and later even he needs more encouragement you know, to hear the dreams of the Midianites, that I think in one sense we can identify with him. You know, because a lot of times as we go through life, you know, we're wondering, Lord, is that you? Lord, is that you? Are you speaking to me? You know, God is so gracious in that oftentimes he meets us there. And that's what exactly what happened right here. As he brings his sacrifice, God confirms it to him. Yes, this is me. And he consumes the sacrifice. He disappears. And so Gideon knows. This is the Lord. Look what he says next in verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He says, Man, I'm going to die, right? And the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, for you shall not die. And so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Asbirites. It's so cool in reading this right here, how Gideon saw it was the Lord. He knew 
that even though God was veiled, that he should have died. You know, and we see though that the grace of God kicks in and God provided a peace that surpassed understanding. You know, I love the way that we read right here that Gideon built an altar. Why? Because he didn't want to forget this experience. He didn't want to forget the revelation of God. And so he built an altar that, uh, according to the scriptures right here, was still standing at the time of the writing of the book of Judges. You know, and in looking at this right here, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, you know, but, you know, I guess in one sense, we all deserve to die, huh? You know, I mean, I bet some of you, some of the things that you did today, you know, some of the things that we've been engaged in lately, maybe we've been rebellious. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. But ultimately, we all deserve to die. Ultimately, I think, if God gave us justice right now, every one of us would be in hell, right? This moment, right? But God has done what? God has given us peace. And that's kind of what we see with Gideon here. The Lord says, listen, I've got this all worked out. The Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Gideon builds an altar and he calls it the Lord is peace. In the Hebrew, it's Yahweh Shalom, right? Jehovah Shalom. And that's who God is for us. You know, I'm blessed by this. I think of Ephesians 2 verse 14 where the Bible says he himself is our peace. You know, that's the peace that we have. The Bible talks about this peace that surpasses understanding. You know, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You read that in Romans 5.1. And then after that, we should have the peace of God. We don't have to worry, you guys. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has given us that peace. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, he says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, the Lord gave Gideon peace and Gideon recognized that it was a peace that was provided in God himself. And I pray that we would have that peace as well. You know, all these things, you guys, that Gideon is experiencing, you know, as the Lord begins to speak to him, the Lord begins to encourage him, the Lord begins to send him, the Lord tells him to go, the Lord, you know, even so graciously, you know, answers his request to confirm these things to him. All this is just moving him towards that place that he needs to be in order to deliver the children of Israel from the hands of the Midianites, you know. And if I could just just ask you for a second, you know, tonight, as we just pause for a second, where is God wanting to use your life? What are the things that God wants you to do for Him? Who are the people that God will want you to deliver for Him? And all the things that we go through in our life, and we, you know, fall and we get up, and, and sometimes we succeed, we do things right, we bring the sacrifice, but even at the same time we're wondering, is this really God? And, you know, in going through chapter 6, I was telling Joey, this is, there's so much here. There's so much here. But ultimately, when you strip it down to what's really going on, is God is meeting with a very, very frail man. His name is Gideon. 
And this guy kind of goes back and forth and up and down and he's all around. And, and I think we can identify with him. And God is, is saying, I'm calling you. I want to use your life to set my people free. You know, and, and I think for us here today, if every single person understood that for their own life, I wonder how this world would be different. Of course, it begins at home. It begins at home with your family. And how God would want you as a parent to love your children, to love them and to, to pay attention to them. How God would want you as a husband or wife, you know, the different roles and responsibilities that we have. But it begins to make a difference. You deliver them from the Midianites. You deliver them who want to ruin their home and, you know, move them into the caves who want to ruin their harvest. God begins to use us because it's like, man, Lord, not me. I mean, maybe this guy over there, maybe that gal over there. And I can kind of understand. It makes a lot of sense that you would use that one over there, but not me. I mean, I'm, you know, the weakest in my father's house. And, you know, my father's clan is the weakest of Manasseh. We're the, we know there's no way. And God says, okay, I understand that a lot of you guys think that way. And so let me show you what I can do through Gideon's life. And Gideon here, as he's going back and forth and he's all around, he begins to kind of move forward. It says in verse 25, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. And so Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And I don't know, I just read this and I'm like, man, this guy is like me. No, this guy is like, he's like, man, one is so good and one is so bad. He's over here and his, the Lord says, okay, tear down the altars of Baal. You know, and so he's like, okay, I'll do it, Lord, in the nighttime. You know? And I, I don't know, I could just identify with this guy a little bit too much. And, and But the thing is this, is that you know what? He's doing things by faith. He's doing certain things by faith, but he's not perfect yet. Eventually, he will be a great warrior. But he's not there yet. Huh? And we definitely see it. He's not there yet. You know, a lot of teachers will tell you in reading this right here that before you can go out on the battlefield, you got to take care of things at home. His father worshipped Baal. His father had, you know, an altar to Baal. And the men of the city, they were all like all gathered there. But, you know, here we see Gideon dealing with that. And it's so cool, you know, for us, you know, we got to take care of things at home. Not only that, before you can put on the new man, you got to take off the old man, right? Colossians chapter 3, 9 and 10. Put off the old man. And put on the new man. Before you can, God can do a new work and a great work in your life and entrust you with things, certain things have to, have to be cleansed from your life. 
You've got to go through your life, your house, take things out that don't belong, break down the altars of Baal, right? And then you can build a simple altar to the Lord. You have to clean house. Before you can go out on the battlefield out there, you've got to make sure things are right in your own home. You know, I'm reminded of Moses. When Moses was called out to deliver the children of Israel, God appeared to him in a burning bush. God commissioned him. Moses kind of argued with the Lord, kind of like Gideon did. We see some similarities there. And then when Moses was on his way, do you guys remember what happened to Moses? God almost killed him. Why? Because he didn't circumcise his son. He didn't take care of his family, his own household. He listened to his wife. Sometimes it's good to listen to your wife. Sometimes it's not. You have to make sure, right? And so what ends up happening? The Lord almost did. All I'm saying is that, you know what, you guys? Let's be real Christians. Maybe you're here today and you're single. You know, you're a single person. Is there anything in your house that's not right? Is there any movies in your house? Are you watching things? Are you doing things? I mean, there's magazines, you know, beer. I mean, you name it. I don't know. But we have to break down the altars of Baal so that we can build the altar of the Lord. We have to take care of things at home. And, and he does. And it's so cool because his dad responds in verse 28, And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was recited, that would be the Asherah. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. And so they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubael, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. The men from the city, they find out what happens. And so they go and they say, Who did this? Now, if you've got, you got ten guys helping you, you know, the word's going to get out somehow, right? And so they find out it's, you know, this guy Gideon. Okay, get him out here so we can kill him. But you know what had happened? The Lord God had done a work in the heart of Gideon's father. Gideon's father. It was so cool. You know, you would figure it was his altar. You would figure that he would come against him if he was a, a you know, loyal to Baal. But, you know, a lot of teachers will tell you, man, that, you know, but through Gideon, the Lord used his son you know, to minister to the Father and to bring him back to where he needed to be. And God will do that in our family. God will do that with your children. God will do that with your spouse. God can do that with your loved ones when you begin to make a stand and do what's right. And so the Father then comes to, you know, the, the point of truth and he says, man, if, if Baal's a God, let him defend himself, you know. Why do you guys have to defend him? Right? Kind of like Elijah, he said the same thing, right? You see the similarities there. And God begins to do a work. And so what ends up happening? It says right here in verse 33, And then all the Midianites and the Malachites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley 
of Jezreel. I guess it was payday, you know. Like, oh, it's payday. We've got to go get our, our money, man. Harvest time. Let's go get our food, right? And so they all come. Like I said before, we're going to see later, it's 135,000 soldiers. It says right here in verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Another good thing, I think. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Whom God appoints, God anoints, right? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and what does he do? He blows the trumpet. This is again something we see the Spirit of the Lord over and over again in the book of Judges. I remember one time reading a story about these guys, I guess they were pastors in England, and they were trying to figure out whether or not they should invite D.L. Moody to do an evangelistic crusade in their city. And so, you know, they're kind of going back and forth, and then, you know, one of the pastors, he kind of objects, and he says, why D.L. Moody? You know, does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And then one of the other pastors, he kind of gently says, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. And the Holy Spirit. What can we do without the Holy Spirit? Nothing. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so we have to stop disobeying and stop doubting. Because when we disobey the Lord, we grieve the Spirit. And when we doubt, we quench the Spirit. But when the Spirit of God comes into our life and He takes over and we're baptized by the Holy Spirit and He has full control of our lives, we trust in Him. Look what God does. Otherwise, He would have never blown that trumpet. And if it's not for the work of the Holy Spirit, God working in your life, not something that you manipulate, not something that you're talented enough to accomplish, Not something that you, through your experience, you know how to go through all the motions. No, but when the Holy Spirit comes and and it's kind of like outside of the box and it's God doing the work, then you'll blow the trumpet. And then what ends up happening? These guys that would have never, you know, been there, they come and they gather for the battle. So Gideon does something good, but it's kind of funny. Then we read in verse 36, So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool in the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. But let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all of the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Gideon's like, Lord, are you sure you're with me? (laughs) Are you sure you're with me? You know what, let me just say this, man. God is not a liar. Okay, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, 
then God himself has said, I will always be with you. I will always be with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, check it out, I'm with you always, he said, even to the end of the age. Now, he might be with you disciplining you, (laughs) right? But it's only because he loves you. But if you just take a, a quick look right in your heart, right over your shoulder, you'll see God is right there, ready to meet you. Some of you here, you know, you're walking with the Lord. You're like Job or Joseph, upright, fearing God, shunning evil. Praise God, He's right there with you. Some of you here, man, you're backslidden. You're backslidden. And you know you are, and God wants to bring you back. He's there. It's not a 12-step thing, it's a one-step thing. You come back to the Lord. But Gideon, he shows his... I don't know. Now, the fleece thing, and and we'll close with this because we have to do communion, but... You know, the fleece thing, uh, people go back and forth on that. Warren Wiersbe, how many of you guys like Warren Wiersbe? You're like, I never met him. Well, he's a good author, okay? He says, never, ever, ever set a fleece like this. Never do it. It's, it's unbelief. It's wrong. We've got God's word. He even calls it pride. He says that if you are an individual who sets fleece before God, then basically what you're saying to God is, you do what I told you to do in order for me to do what you want me to do. So I don't know. That's what Warren Wiersbe says. But you know, in life, it kind of works like this. And I think I would lean more towards what some of the other guys said, John Corson and others, in which he said, you know what, sometimes in life, we're not really sure about certain things. Like, for example, you know, do you lead the children of Israel into battle? You know, am I going to go, should I run for president? Some of you here should probably run for president of the United States. I don't know. You can't read a a verse right here that says, okay, run for president of the United States. And so in one sense, you kind of look for for confirmation. You're like, okay, Lord, if that's you, make it clear. Make it clear, because I don't want to presumptuous. I don't want to go out there and just, you know, do my own thing. Lord, I really want to follow you. And when that's your heart and you're asking God to make it clear, you're asking God for confirmation, I think that's kind of kind of okay. And we see that a few times in the Bible. Remember Jonathan? He said a fleece before the Lord and God made it clear. Uh, we see even in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there's a story there that I can't remember right now. <laughs> what was it? What was it? Oh man, I forgot. I'll tell you later. But the Lord can do that in our life. You know, and when you think of the dew, and one last thing, you know, Gideon here, he puts the fleece out there, and uh, he says, okay, Lord, if this is you, then I tell you what, let all the ground be dry, and let the, the fleece be wet with the dew. And God says, cool, and God accommodated him, right? By the way, that was a miracle. Okay, a lot of times people say, Lord, if it's you, then, uh, you know, let that, you know, light turn green well it always turns green it goes red yellow green it does that right we're talking like a miracle where you would say lord if that's you let it turn purple okay we're talking about a huge miracle it was due all around the ground except for uh, it was dry all around the ground except for the the fleece it was wet and then what ended up happening was they reversed it god gideon says okay lord my faith is weak but I tell you what this time let it be you know just wet on all the ground, but just the fleece, let it be dry. You know, and going back and forth, and God accommodated him. Now, just real quick, closing right here, what was the what is the dew symbolic of? Do you guys know? 
the dew is symbolic of God's blessing, right? From above, right? Doesn't dew come down like that? It's kind of like that moisture we see. And we see that in the Bible. And a lot of people believe that what that's speaking of is, number one, how God's blessing came, number one, upon Gideon. The dew fell on Gideon. And, and if I can just say this, the dew will, fell, will fall on you. The dew will fall on you as you begin to surrender the Lord. His goodness, His blessings, the power of His Holy Spirit will fall on you. Okay? And when it falls on you, guess what's going to happen? God will then use you and the dew will fall on others. Something to think about, right? Because we really want God to use our lives, you guys. I pray that we would not be plain church, that we would not be... Uh, an unbelieving people, but that we would have great faith and that we would believe that God can do a great work even in these days that we're living in. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I don't know, Lord. It's a tough, it was a tough chapter for me, Lord. But I do know you love these people. I do know, Lord, that You would even just honor, Lord, the steps of faith in which they would come and they would say, Lord, I want to meet with you. I thank you for being such a good, a patient, long-suffering, and gracious God. And Father God, as we partake of communion tonight, I really pray, Lord, that if there's anything in our hearts, anything in our life that's not right, God, that we would surrender it tonight. Lord, that we would tear down the altars of Baal and we wouldn't even like look at ourselves. We would look up and realize, God, that you're here with us. Lord, to meet us at a time like this, whatever situation is going on in our families, in our heart, financially, physically, emotionally, Lord God, whatever challenges there are, God, I pray that you would meet us here tonight. And let, Lord, your Holy Spirit, that you would identify those areas of our life that need to change. And that, Jesus, uh, we would look to you and just thank you and remember you for what you've done on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Do a great work, Lord, I pray, in our hearts tonight as we partake of communion together. And I ask in Jesus' name. We're going to pass out the bread and the cup. And you hold on to we hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.